Good morning, Idaho. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho Podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. Today we have a bit more of a politically heavy episode, but don't run away. It's going to be a good one, trust me. The main stories today that are going to be talked about is the Idaho transgender bathroom law going into effect, then some news about the Boise mayor race, and then some talk about Sandpoint's war against geese. That's a fun one. I'm looking forward to talking about that. Plus, in the quickies, we'll be going over an update on the Albertsons and Kroger merger, some dinosaurs stolen over in Idaho Falls. That one also is funny. And Brendan's plans for this next season, which for those of you that are snowboarders and skiers, you'll probably love to hear about. But hey, glad to have you here today. Please join me for the morning banter where I'll chat with you a little bit before we get into it. But I understand if you're short on time and prefer to skip the banter, you can use the timestamp that is in the description to jump straight over to the stories. For those that stayed, thank you for staying for the banter. I always love this time. A little bit more candid for me to talk and just share what's going on both in my life, things I'm kind of observing in the valley, and just generally to update you guys on what's going on on the podcast. Granted, I understand, you know, if you got to run and it's busy, I've been there many a time where there's like the kind of intro and there's the laid back nature of a podcast. I'm like, hey, part of the podcast I listen to is for you guys to kind of inform me. And then the other half of listening to the podcast is for me to get information. And right now I just need information, which is perfectly fine. But I would like if you'd stay for the banter and chat with me a little bit. With all that said, I hope you all had a wonderful week. I know this week has definitely been Idaho being its premier fall self. The fall colors are out in full force, or at least starting in some areas at the latest, shall we say. It's been very, very pretty. I know driving around, you see those hints, and it's like this weird thing. The grass is still kind of green. It hasn't started to kind of go to its winter sleeping stages and stuff. But you then have all this color that's coming off the trees and everything, and it makes for this weird, interesting dynamic that's just beautiful. I don't think here in the valley we've had a frost yet. Granted, I was listening. Who who was it? I'm blanking the name now, but I was looking on Twitter or whatever, and I think I commented on his post or whatever, so you can find it over there on the Twitter page for the podcast. But he was talking about how they got like five inches of snow somewhere up north. A little bit. It, it eventually melted away, I think. But you're getting some of your snow-topped mountains back. Uh, the mountains are getting themselves ready for the holiday season, shall we say. Which is cool to hear. I, I really, really, really wish that the Treasure Valley got more snow, honestly. I know some people don't want that. I feel like if we got more snow, the road system and the different agencies that handle all that would be a little bit more prepared because they'd be expecting it rather than one year we have a ton of snow and then another year we have hardly any, if you know what I mean. But I, I, w- I would love more because personally for me, there's this, as I've talked about, I think either here or maybe I mentioned over on Twitter, I think I talked to someone about it. I lose track here. But that there's this weird transition period here in the southern part of Idaho where it's, you know, summer and you're sitting there and it's warm and it's nice. And then you start coming into that fall season, right? And it's getting a little bit cooler, a little bit more crisp in the mornings. And then it really starts to come in where, you know, your highs are only sitting in that 70, 60 range and your evenings are in the 40s and 30s. And so you're toying with that line, right? And then it finally frosts and all the colors kind of change. And it's just this all at once thing. And then you've got maybe like two to one to two weeks that it's going to be really nice fall weather that you can enjoy. And then boom, you're straight into rain. Your highs are 50, 40. You're regularly every night below freezing and stuff. And But it's rain. It never like turns to snow. And then you have to wait till like the end of December. So you have to live with this rainy 
cold, kind of dreary, cloudy, overcast kind of situation with all these dead leaves kind of around and trying to manage them until about like December-ish, I would say. Someone might correct me on that. And then we try kind of the latter half of December, we start finally maybe getting some snow and stuff, and maybe the wind will die down or pick up depending on the year sometimes. And I, I love I love the beginning and I love the end, but I really don't like the middle, <laughs> which is like the story of my life in some areas where it just is, I don't know how to describe it. I, it the, all the dead leaves and everything, I really wish it would just snow more in that period. Rain has its place, don't get me wrong, but I really wish a lot wish that a lot of that snow what or a lot of that rain, ma'am, my goodness, I'm having Freudian slips all over the place here. But that that rain would be more snow in the valley because I personally would love that. It's already cold. Just drop it a few more degrees, Lord, and give me snow instead of rain. But then, you know, on the flip side, I hear some people that's probably like, Tyler, just come over to Northern Idaho. Then you have that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but also for doing stuff for you guys, for the podcast and stuff. You know, staying down here in the valley gives me a, a wonderful resource to be able to talk to some of the most influential parts of the state in the sense of Ada County and Canyon County, how it affects the electorate, and also being able to meet a lot of people that are here at the Capitol in Boise because I'm reasonably close. Thankfully, being here in Caldwell, I get a little bit of a distance from the crazy things that the mayor is doing there, but that's it's kind of uh, its own shtick and thing. But speaking of northern Idaho and especially the fall colors, I'm going to be heading up north here, I think the 20th, if that's a Friday. It's this coming Friday. As of you guys recording it, yeah, it'll be the coming Friday. I'm going to be heading up north there to northern Idaho, and then I'll be coming back like on a Friday or something. Me and my grandparents were going to be going up with, I haven't decided, I don't think we figured out which way we're going to go. If we're going to go through the Oregon side, yes, I know Idaho's nice, but Oregon also has some pretty stuff to see as well. Not barring the politics though, but going up through the Oregon side and then coming into kind of Lewiston, Clarkston area and kind of staying there and hunkering out or if we're just going to go straight up or what, I, we haven't quite figured that out yet at all, but I do know it'll be a really fun trip. I've done it a couple times with them, and it's been super, super enjoyable. I want to make sure to get tons of different photos and videos and stuff. I might post them as things come out and stuff while we're up there, but to be sure, I will record and I will post some stuff and have that ready to kind of share with you guys. I'm really excited to go up there. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I haven't missed the fall season up there from the photos I'm seeing. It's not quite over I know we're definitely going to try to see some of the different lakes and things up there. And, you know, also food because, you know, eating at nice restaurants is always a plus. I'm really, really looking forward to being up there at Tomato Brothers. Oh, so, so tasty. If I haven't mentioned it before, some of the best Italian ever I've had is there in Clerkston at Tomato Brothers. I know it's not Idaho. Please do not crucify me. It, it's, But it's really, it's really, really, really good um, food, and I'd highly recommend it if you're someone who's traveling through there to stop by there. You can write that down, Tomato Brothers, or uh, if you're just someone in the area that is, you know, kind of looking for something, I would highly, highly recommend it. But yeah, any case, very much looking forward to it. Going to be taking the drone up, tons of different footage. I know this trip will be a little bit of an experiment where I'm going to be testing out some different stuff with John, and we're going to be using it as a trial run for some other things that are coming down the line. Wink, wink, wink. And hopefully those turn out well and that test run, everything works smoothly. And that means some of the other projects we're working on will run out quicker. And speaking of John, sadly, he couldn't join us this week. He came down sick earlier in the week. He is better now, so no need to worry. And so we didn't have him on this week to kind of join me co-hosting so that his voice can fully recover. Plus, he had some other scheduling things. But 
Rest assured, rest assured, we'll have him back here soon. We're aiming for this next week. Depending on how things end up with the trip, he may be the person hosting. I don't know. We'll figure that out. I got to talk to him on that. That's kind of curveball I just put in there for you, John. But we'll see. And then you'll have his amazing voice back yet again. I think it's wonderful. Granted, you know, you usually think the grass on the other side is always greener. So who knows? Maybe I have just as good of a melodious buttery announcer type of voice as John has, which I, I don't believe, but but still, I'm glad we have him, and I'm glad he's editing and helping me with the work that needs to be done on the podcast and also for co-hosting, because it's an amazing blessing to have him. Also speaking on kind of the editing front and John stuff, you may see in the coming weeks and months, me and him are working on making some full videos that you'll see popping up on the Rumble and YouTube channel, which if you want to subscribe to any of our video stuff, there's the YouTube and the Rumble. I'm thinking about posting on Twitter. I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. Still kind of going back and forth there. But if there's any platform you choose, I would prefer Rumble because Rumble's really nice that I don't have to worry about being deplatformed if this channel ever gets large or demonetized and stuff. Rumble's really nice about that. But, you know, if YouTube's more convenient for you, totally understand. YouTube has an amazing reach and it is still an amazing product that YouTube has really delivered on that, shall we say. But you will see some more videos. What we're going to be doing is taking certain sections of the podcast, like the I think the main stories, we're going to take all of those. And we're going to turn those into the standard, like, full video format you see on YouTube. So instead of, like, the vertical you have in shorts, which they limit us to about a minute or so, it'll be a full thing. So maybe, like, 13 minutes, depending on how long. But it'll have the scripted section, and then it'll have kind of our commentary and banter in there. So we have some more dedicated videos. We're toying around with that, giving us a little bit more experience with that. Hopefully, that's helpful for you, some of you guys. I know you have busy, busy lives and you like the content that we produce here, but sometimes you just can't give that full like hour to 30 minutes. That's where the podcast tries to sit. And granted, it's like a couple of weeks. It's been like an hour. I'm trying to get it down, but we're trying to produce those so that you can still enjoy this wonderful content we produce here, but have it in some more bite-sized chunks and you can kind of choose what you do or don't want. Also on that front, if you haven't any advice or constructive criticism for the podcast, please, please reach out. We use that a ton. There's the email on whatever page, wherever you find us, I should have that email posted and available for you. Or you can just send us a message over there on Twitter, especially if you're someone who's, I know there's election seasons and stuff going on, which I'm working on that. If you're someone who wants to come on for an interview to share you running for a position or different things or something to promote, please, please feel free to send stuff over this way. It's called the Local Yoko Podcast for a reason. And we're, I want to encourage you all to share stuff with us because it helps everyone in the community across all of Idaho for you guys sharing that we'll be able to have more of that to give back to you in content. And also, just it helps John a ton and me when it comes to figuring about editing and formatting and what's working for you guys. Because at the end of the day, we want to make this podcast to be something you guys enjoy, becomes a regular part of your life, and fulfills the needs that you need to be more involved in your local community and to learn more about the amazing state of Idaho. But let's get into the news. (music) 
Starting off with our first story here, Idaho's transgender bathroom law gets the go-ahead from federal judge. This comes by KTVB7 by Laura Guido. A federal judge has allowed Idaho's transgender bathroom law to go into effect after it had been temporarily blocked. The law requires public schools only to allow students to use bathrooms and changing facilities that correspond to their biological sex and implements a civil penalty for districts that don't. Those on the left have criticized the law as being discriminatory against transgender students. The judge wrote in his decision that legal precedent shows the state has a legitimate interest in protecting privacy when it comes to bathrooms and other changing facilities. However, he argued that there is no evidence that transgender students have engaged in behavior that infringes on others' privacy. He wrote that SB 1100 is based on sex and not gender identity, and that it does not inherently discriminate against transgender students. The lawyers representing the plaintiff disagree and say that the rule puts transgender students directly in harm's way. Which, a lot of stuff to say there, but Point in case, I think this is a wonderful thing to hear for most of American history. And granted, for most of the world, we understood this. There is a huge chasm of difference between men and women. Yes, we're both human beings, right? We have that commonality. We're both image bearers. God made in him his image, right? But we both have complementary roles. We have a society. And both of those are different and unique. And because, sadly, of sinful nature and other temptations and things... We need these separations. We need these spaces for both men and women, especially with the undressing part when it comes to changing rooms and bathrooms and stuff. And we've seen over the last couple of years, especially I think the Daily Wire, I don't remember the right case. I want to say it was back east in Kentucky or Tennessee or it might have been Ohio where there was a transgender student that went into a bathroom and uh, did some certain things, which for all the parents out there, you can go look that up. I know there's people that play this with the kids and the family listening, so I'm not going to go into that at the moment, but you know what I'm talking about. Plus other cases that if you're willing to dig, you can find. If you're someone who wants to object, please reach out and I'll try to find those resources for you. All that to say, I think this is a wonderful thing. Glad to see that it is moving forward here, especially when we're seeing the, the will of the people is being exercised. We're voting certain senators and representatives into our our governmental system here in Idaho, and they're passing laws that I would say most of Idaho, if you look at different surveys and statistics supports from a God-fearing standpoint for all of reaching across the aisle, right, for the Mormons and the Catholics and the Christians and everything in between, right, that this is not something that, this is something that all of these different religions face and groups here in Idaho are really desperately fighting and wanting. If I remember correctly, when writing this bill, it was written by Crane, the younger one that's there in the Senate. And then I think it was helped by Idaho Family Policy Center, which highly would recommend. They're an amazing resource. I've talked to Blaine many a time. Great, great guy. If you're wanting to learn more about kind of the Christian perspective within politics and kind of being kept a little bit more up to date, he is also a wonderful resource on that. But it's just very, very encouraging to see, especially with the past one that I think it was the abortion law we talked about last week that got approved, which, funny enough, as we're reading through this, you will hear a story where that kind of is having some issues where the court, yes, took that preliminary injunction away. But now some other things are happening, which that's kind of a little bit of a tease there. But this is very, very encouraging to hear and very, very glad to hear. It's actually going in effect today, the day I'm recording, which is the 14th of October. 
it goes into effect like I think 11, I don't know why, it was like 11.52, something like that. Granted, you're probably going to pull it on, I'm going to be way off the ballpark, but I looked it up, it goes into effect and stuff, which is super, super encouraging to hear, especially as we're going into the school season here. We've already kind of started a little bit, but at least we'll have the majority of the school season where this will be applying to schools and stuff. Now moving out of politics just just a little bit, we go to the Boise Airport moves to solar. This comes by the Boise Dev by Margaret Carmel. The city of Boise is moving closer to its goal of powering city facilities with 100% clean energy by 2030 with the approval of a power agreement with Idaho Power to purchase enough energy from the Black Mesa Solar Energy Facility in Elmore County to power the Boise Airport and Lander Street Water Renewal Facility through 2043. Three, The agreement was approved ununanimously by the Boise City Council and Mayor Lauren McLean commended the city staff for their work. Quote, this gets us ahead of schedule and I know we will beat those goals and it is because of the commitment of our staff, the community partnership with Idaho Power and so many people involved along the way, including our residents who really want us to lead and recognize this will save us money in the long run by purchasing power at rates determined today for the next 20 years, and it is clean power. To give some context, Lander Street and Boise Airport make up 11% and 15% of the city's total electrical use, respectively. The city's largest user is the West Boise Water Renewal Facility, which uses 30% of the city's power. The city pays roughly $1.5 million a year for the power at Lander Street and the airport. Now, the power from the solar farm will not directly be piped to the Boise Airport and Lander Street. Instead, the city will pay Idaho Power directly towards these resources and lock in their rates so the company can keep investing in its energy transition while not forcing rate hikes on consumers who don't have those aggressive goals. The power coming to the airport and Lander Street will not be any different, and it will not add instability to those two facilities. But what this agreement does is confirm Boise's rates for electricity through 2043. In the first two years of the contract, the city will pay a premium toward the power from the solar facility, toward getting the facility up and running. And then by the third year, the power costs will be the same for the city. By the other years, the city is expected to be paying less for the electricity from this facility than any other Idaho power consumer. The city will be also paying into a contingency fund because state law prohibits localities from taking on debt without voters' permission, and also to ensure consumers who don't want a faster transition to renewable resources don't see a price hike if the city backs out of the deal. This 810000 contingency is being funded out of the Airport and Water Renewal Enterprise Fund, meaning they're paid for out of operating revenue for both facilities. The funds will be refunded to the city in two parts, one in 10 years and the other at the end of the contract in 2043. The Idaho Public Utility Commission will still need to sign off on the agreement formally. All this to say, the approval of this power agreement is a significant step forward for the city of Boise in its goals for powering the city's facilities with 100% clean energy by 2030. The agreement will allow the city to lock in rates for energy for the next 20 years, which will save money in the long run. It will also help reduce the city's carbon footprint and support the development of renewable energy in the state. The agreement is also notable because it is a public-slash-private partnership between the city of Boise and Idaho Power. Which, for any of you that have listened for any length of time, know that my position on renewable stuff, specifically solar and wind, is a 
a little bit rocky. I think totally that solar is an amazing resource, but sadly, I think it won't be a really, really useful tool until battery technology kind of catches up where we can sit there and be like, yes, we just stored all this energy from the sun throughout the day when the grid isn't being taxed as much. Most people are at work and at businesses and not at home. And so the cost and the demand for electricity has gone down, but you really need that energy in the evening. But with batteries, that works well with solar because during the day, those solar rays could be charging up massive industrial sized batteries or supercapacitors or whatever we figure out and then during the night they could easily be metered out through those giant reserves through the evening and we could truly have this nice very cheap very affordable renewable energy but that's just on the face value i do know that most of the solar panels are manufactured overseas which obviously i would say it's a good thing for us to not be dependent on china nearly as much as we are for our manufacturing and resources it should be something that we do here in the us so that especially with power if we're trying to move over to solar right we are energy independent so that we build all of our own solar we have all the resources all the assembly lines everything here so if for instance a world war 3 looming on the horizon were ever to happen it wouldn't for uh, affect our energy production and also for the amount of jobs it would bring to the U.S. On the flip side, I've many times talked about that nuclear, I think, is a way better option. But in this case, I will say I think it's a really wonderful deal that Boise has gotten here, especially with most of the time when you if you've ever had one of those salesmen for solar come and talk to you and stuff. Usually for like trying to put solar on your own house, you really don't get that return on investment back until about, I think it's like four, five, six years or something like that. It, it keeps coming down. I remember when I was younger, it was like 13 years. So if you're going to live in a house for a long time or the rest of your life, then yes, investing in solar for your home is a really, really smart idea. And I think part of that, not 100% when we're talking about our own power grid for like the whole community, right? can kind of be jumped out a little bit. If Idaho Power is sitting there and Boise is like, yes, we're going to put our ticket, we're going to put this money down, and for the next couple of years, we're totally into it. I think that's a good thing, especially with Idaho growing, specifically Boise just booming, shall we say, that they've kind of locked in these power costs, and then part of that lock in that cost is that they're having renewables. I mean, you can take the good with the bad. I think the renewables, you have issues you've seen over in California where they've really pushed for that, and especially at a, a national level over in Germany, where it has just wrecked their economy, where I don't think the technology is just not there yet. The efficiency of the panels are, but the power banks and the batteries to kind of store and be that substation for that in-between just really, really aren't there yet, rather than countries where they've stuck with coal and natural gas or other things that are a little bit cleaner than coal, shall we say, or with France where they've leaned into nuclear. They don't have nearly the horrible cost of energy, and they have way more reliable energy to consume, shall we say. I feel like I'm repeating that point a lot. But when you're talking about a power grid, its primary function is to deliver power regularly, reliably, and affordably. Because if you have a grid that reliably and regularly can deliver power, but it's not affordable, well, who cares? Cool, you've got this power available, but most of your populace can't even use it. Well, that case, you just might as well have done it for the military alone and not for the populace. On the flip side, if you have really affordable energy, but it's not reliable, but it's cheap, well then, cool, people can use it, but most of the time, they're going to have to come up with their own solutions. And then vice versa on that last part, and then you have the last one where it's affordable, it's reliable, but maybe it's not as clean, which I would argue that those two other ones, that affordability and reliability and kind of availability right there, kind of are the biggest ones. Clean is something we want. We definitely don't want to be polluting the environment. God has given us this, this world. We should be good caretakers of it and be responsible with it. 
all power to it. I totally agree with that 100%. But with that said, also human needs sit above the needs of, shall we say, other things, that we are image bearers of God, and thus we should put human needs first above that of the animals and everything, because then they... They're animals. Now, I can hear the naturalist, how could you dare you say that? What about the bears and blah, blah, blah? Well, one, God has made them really good at adapting. We've seen that, like, really, really good, where they can adapt and to their surroundings and different things that they need. And also, I would argue to you that the amount of carbon emissions that a volcano spews out into the air compared to what our combustion engines and heavy industry do on the planet is far, 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 far less Now, you could make the argument with coal, but the amount of coal plants and coal generation that's being done in the world is lower and lower. Honestly, if we're looking towards renewable energies and we're looking towards trying to save the environment and global warming and stuff, I think we should talk a lot more about China and a lot less about America, where we're getting all these solar panels from China, right? We're getting all these wind turbines and batteries and they're manufacturing it, right? But how do they manufacture that? Well, they have tons of coal plants because the Chinese economy needs tons of power to do all that manufacturing, and they need it cheap. They need it cheap because if they're going to get that international trade, they need that production to be cheap. Well, how do they get that production that cheap? Well, because power's that cheap. They put just tons and tons of coal plants that just burn tons of coal, which is one of, I will agree from what I've read, one of the most polluting ways that you can do renewable energies, and it is not good. Or not, not, they're not even renewable. What am I saying? I kind of flipped my words around there. That is the least renewable thing you can do. The amount of carbon emissions and soot and things that coal plants, coal generation plants put in there is horrible. We should at least say, China, hey, we're going to stop imp- the amount of coal we're giving you. We're going to bring that back. You need to invest more in natural gases or oil or something, which burns way, way cleaner, especially for the populace there and different things. But I think that should be a discussion. If you really believe global warming is an issue, the United States and Europe are not the problem. The problem is China and the developing countries in the world, and we should find cleaner, affordable solutions for them. That is the way, if you really think that global warming is an issue and you're worried about carbon emissions, that's the way you're going to do it. Because if you can raise the poverty level or make power cheaper, more affordable, easy, and cleaner in those third world countries where they're burning different dung and wood, which is even worse than coal, if I remember correctly, in some areas, if you're not using a proper filter and stuff, if we give them cheaper ways like natural gas and things that, yeah, it's not, you know, zero carbon emissions, but man, it's going to half the amount they're putting out. I think that's a way more valuable argument than talking about the U.S. and its need to change to more renewable stuff, and especially here in Idaho. Most of our power comes from hydro, so it usually rubs me wrong when they're talking about Idaho needs to be more renewable energy. What are you talking about? More than half the state's entire power comes from dams and hydropower. Calm down. We even have a, I think it's like a and geothermal power station in the south somewhere. I can't remember what town it's near. But you can actually see it from satellite where they got all these pipes going to different like vents that they've hooked up. And that just churns all the time because the natural heat that the earth gives off, which is another really cool discussion. But I'm not going to get into that rabbit hole. Anywho, I think this will be good in the long run for Boise, definitely getting those energy rates locked in, independent of its clean energy or renewable energy, whatever else. I think having those rates locked in will be good, especially for the growth of Boise and any industry that wants to be in there to have that consistent, affordable, expected type of cost for power. And then, I, you know, I think solar's a good thing, and hopefully they'll get the battery technology figured out by, what was it here, uh, 2043, because then you'll have this all-paid-for solar farm, and then maybe you put in a bunch of battery storage facilities across the valley and different stuff in Boise in general, then maybe at that point, yeah, 
I'll, I'll eat crow and say, I was wrong. I think this is a really good thing. And we'll have those batteries to kind of help with that difference that solar is having issues with at the time being. Now, moving a little bit more west and talking about growth and development, Caldo to introduce paid parking in downtown. This comes by KTVB7 by Brenda Rodriguez. Caldo is introducing paid parking in the downtown area starting at the end of this year. The city says the move is necessary to address the problems of cars overstaying in parking spots, which limits the number of cars cycling through downtown. The city will use the money generated by meters to make improvements downtown, such as enhancing surveillance and improving light services. There will still be options for people who don't want to pay for parking. There will be areas outside of downtown where people can park and then walk into the interior. The city says they will continue to work through the challenges of implementing paid parking and are excited to see where the new developments go. Now, as some can guess, the introduction of paid parking in downtown Caldwell is a controversial move. Some businesses support the change, saying that it will help bring more businesses into the area. Others are concerned that it will discourage people People from coming downtown. The city says that they are committed to making paid parking work for everyone. For example, they scaled back their original plan to charge $1.50 per hour. And as mentioned earlier, they'll be using the money generated by the meters to make improvements downtown. All this to say, it remains to be seen how the introduction of paid parking will impact the downtown area in Caldwell. Which is someone who lives here in Caldwell. This, I don't know. Honestly, I'm going to admit, and I want to be consistent here on the Idaho podcast, a local yokel podcast here, that I just, I'm not sure on this one. I could see it going both ways. I can see both arguments. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of it, that Caldwell kind of was nice that you could come in and park, and it kind of had that small town feel, but you had kind of that nice development that was kind of coming into itself. And I know there's some areas that are also well-developed and very much busier, I would argue, than Caldwell, like Eagle, I think, doesn't have paid parking. Don't quote me on that. I don't think they have paid parking anywhere in there. And I don't know why Caldwell's going for that, but maybe Caldwell's looking at the coffers and being like, hey, maybe people aren't going to like this. We're going to wheel out this paid parking for a little bit. We're going to generate a little bit more revenue from it, and that'll allow us to invest in more stuff, maybe more like stacked parking areas or different things. And I know the railroad makes it tricky there, and then there's all the nice, wonderful old homes, and they don't want to demolish those for more parking lots and stuff to try to accommodate for like the growth and things. So I can see the issue they're running into, but honestly, I don't feel like when I go and visit Caldwell, and if you're someone that's down here in the valley, you can back me up on this. If there isn't a holiday or an event happening, I feel like Caldwell has usually plenty of spaces. I rarely have an issue with parking there. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I'm going down there at 5 to 6 p.m. to like eat at one of the local places and different stuff and restaurants I like, it might be a little tricky to find a parking spot. But I can I can usually always find a spot to park, right? But I, I don't get, I'd understand if there was really an issue that's coming on. And then also, I could have sworn they're making like a parking garage or something down there. That might be the apartments they're building. I can't remember. I'm, I'm blanking at this moment. That might be Nampa or something. So I go back and forth. It will be interesting to see. At the end of the day, that's the cool thing about small local towns. We don't have to think of them in the same way we think about the federal government where a law gets passed. And, you know, you kind of have to to pass that law expecting that it will never be changed again in the federal government. But when you're talking about local places like, you know, Caldwell and towns and cities, right, you can pass things and you can try it. And then you can sit there and be like, nope, you know, that didn't work. And I think cities should be encouraged. And I think us as the populace should be willing to do that, to be like, hey, you know, general vote said, let's go this way. Cool. Let's give it a try. And then if it doesn't work, then I hope the city council will be honest enough to be able to admit they're wrong and be like, hey, we tried it. 
didn't work. It didn't do the intended goal that we wanted to. We're going to roll that back. We're going to change it to what it is. And hey, at least we tried. And that the community won't just spit roast them for trying new things and trying to improve stuff. Because then at that point, then the city council is just scared out of their minds trying to do anything. They don't touch anything. And then the, the city or town just kind of stagnates and kind of dies off. And it just kind of sits there in its own little bubble and it never grows and develops. Which for some people, I mean, if that's what you want, I understand. It's your town, right? Your city council, vote what you like there. But I would argue the natural progression is that towns grow, you know, kind of an example of what we see in scripture. You know, we have the smallest unit, which is the individual. Then you have the building block of the of society, of a country, which is the nuclear family. And then out of the nuclear family, you have your communities, your church, and then out of that there again, you've got your towns, and then go a little bit, and those towns make up like a state or a county, and then that county goes into the state side, and that state then goes into the overall country, right? And you kind of have these levels, and things grow, just like individuals and families grow and go through seasons and change. Sometimes there's up, sometimes there's down, and that's natural, and that's to be expected. You can't always expect growth, nor should you always restrain it to being the same stagnant way. I think growth is good, adaptation, learning, and adapting is good, but also you need to do it in accordance with what has been done in the past and the nature of that town, you know? Same with an individual. If, if you're a person who has constantly gone down a certain path, shall we say, and then you instantly take a 180, man, that's going to have a lot of whiplash and a lot of things to occur. You start accepting certain ideologies and things, it's going to really struggle and shake your world and your life, and you're, you're, you're going to struggle. Same thing with a community, same thing with a town, that if one minute, you know, you're the country town or whatever, and then you instantly flip a switch and decide you want to be big, industrial, corporate America, Chicago, heavy industry type of town, right? And you're switching from agrarian type of culture to more of an industrial type of culture. That's going to have a lot of growing pains, and there's going to be a lot of angry and frustrated people and stuff, rather than saying, hey, you know, we are a country town. We live in a country part of the country, shall we say, of the United States, and we don't want to lose that DNA, but also we want to be realistic of that we're growing and there's lots of people here. And so certain changes and things need to be done. But let's do this in accordance with the nature, with the history and the traditions of this town and this community. Which, our city council is always going to do that right? No. No, they're not. But, but with that said, one can hope and pray if you're involved in your local politics, going to your city council meetings and different things right, that hopefully that will come about in your community. Your involvement will kind of transmit that into your city councils and your boards and different stuff because you'll be keeping them accountable. Because at the end of the day, they're humans, they're sinners, they need help, you need help. We all need to be accountable to something or we'll fly right off the rails. Speaking of towns and accountability, we come here to the race for Boise Mayor Heats Up. It's called by the Boise Dad by Margaret Carmel. Boise Mayor candidate Lauren McLean, Mike Masterson, and Joe Evans, and Aaron Reese participated in a forum hosted by the City Club and League of Women Voters this week. The candidates answered questions on their vision for the city of Boise's housing policy, the management of the Boise to Police Department, and how or if the city should stand against Idaho's strict abortion laws. McLean and Masterson have different priorities when it comes to Boise's housing policy, obviously. McLean believes that affordable housing is the city's most pressing issue, while Masterson believes the most pressing issue is a demoralized Boise Police Department. McLean touted the city's success with several land trust projects, as well for her partnership with the Boise State University to purchase an apartment complex for families in the homeless community. Masterson criticized McLean for hiring former Chief Ryan Lee to lead the department 
Department, who underwent a criminal investigation by the Idaho State Police for felony battery after he severely injured a sergeant in a department briefing room. Then on the topic of homelessness, McLean said she was proud of her record of investing in short-term solutions for housing residents in need while also building long-term projects. Masterson disagreed and said the city should stop spending city funds to provide gap financing for affordable housing units and should instead turn to strategy of annexing large swaths of low-grade agriculture land in South Boise to add more plant commodities to keep up with the band of new houses. And then on the topic of abortion, which is the hot button one here, since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year, abortion rights have been left up to the states. McLean and the Boise City Council passed a resolution following the decision deprioritizing investigation into abortions in the city limits in response to Idaho's strict abortion ban with criminal penalties. Masterson said McLean's public stance on this issue and other national or state political issues is a mistake. He said he doesn't believe politics should dictate the matters of women's health, but instead the city should focus on quietly working with the legislature to revise their moves like cutting funding for child care, parental care, and Medicare, and the state's maternal mortality committee. All that to say, the election for the Boise mayor and the four city council seats will be on November 7th. Which, as a person, I grew up in Boise for about 15 years, and uh, it's a town I love. I, I definitely, I've, I've come to very much adopt uh, Caldwell to be my home now, and I love it a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton. But there's still a part of me that there's tons of Boise where I have tons of memories and things growing up there and biking and tons of friends and people that I have there and connections. I will admit with this race personally, just, you know, side thing out there for disclaimer, I am not a fan of Mayor Lauren McLean, specifically on how hard she has pushed on especially transgenderism, where I know a ton of people that have grown up there in Boise, and just the state in general does not support that, and yet she keeps trying to shove it down everyone's throats that, you know, Boise is this friendly LGBTQ haven or whatever else, which it's not. Honestly, it's not the majority of people I don't think in Boise support it or are even in that class. I think LGBTQ people that have that issue and delusion and that really truly need help, that's the most loving thing we can do for them, are still even a minority in Boise especially. We're not some crazy city like down in California. I will admit, I don't fully agree. You know, this is my commentary, my opinion, kind of putting that disclaimer there. But that Masterson is not my first pick, shall we say. But I think he's a way, way better option than McLean. I'm really hoping he wins his race. I'm planning on reaching out here to hopefully have him here on for an interview. There's definitely some things I disagree with him on, but I do very much agree with the priorities that he's talking about here. I think the Boise police force has definitely been gutted, and McLean has moved a lot of resources away and is kind of fiddling with it in ways that she shouldn't be. And you definitely need to get the controversy and issues that are happening with the Boise police force out of it and to kind of bring it back down to ground as we see other towns in the Valley doing and around the state. And I think Masterson would do a great job of that. On the homeless issue, I feel that in areas and also in history, I think the stuff he's talking about is a good thing to be talking about. But I don't think housing per se is the issue for homelessness in Idaho per se. I know it's an issue for people moving in here and it's an issue for property prices. So if we could get those kind of housing costs down, it would help those moving in and industry overall and stuff, but I don't think the housing is ipso facto tied to reason that people are homeless in the state of Idaho. I think it's tied mainly to the fact 
of different economic or sociological things. You see in, I think, history past, I think it makes my point here, that in societies where homelessness was encouraged in the sense that money, free money, was given to homeless people, not resources, to be like, hey, you're homeless, cool. As a community, we want to help you out. Here's a food shelter. The government maybe does give you some money or something. But once you get past a certain period of that you haven't actually gotten a decent job, we're not seeing you moving forward right. We're not seeing you actually getting a job. We're not seeing you moving out and different stuff, a time frame, right? Not just not just a economic thing, because we see that in other areas where there's different programs the government has done and said, hey, once your income gets to this level, then cool, you don't need us anymore. Well, that's where people then say, well, what incentive do I have to get to that point? If I just stay below that threshold, then cool, I can just sit here and keep getting a check cut from the government to me which is not good. We don't want that. We want people to be productive members of society. We want them to have families, functional families. We want them to have enough money and discretionary income that it can be infused back into the economy. We want them to have homes. We want to be have them be productive members of the community. And I would say, you know, it's there's a certain point to being like, hey, we don't want this huge government bureaucracy that's trying to look at every part of your life if you get poor. That makes kind of this almost like state class of people and different things, right? But, what we do is I would say and argue that we put a time limit on it, that we say, hey, here's some funds we'll give you. In that time frame, uh, if you get above a certain you know, threshold economically, then cool, those funds are going to be not available to you. But also, we're only going to give those funds for X amount of time because that's a reasonable window for you to try to get yourself on your feet and get moving. And it encourages and incentivizes people to get jobs, to get working, to get out and do stuff. And America, we're so giving, we're so loving, and it's an amazing blessing. But like Jordan Peterson, which is a gentleman I really love to listen to, regularly says that sometimes caring, sometimes that motherly instinct, right, is the biggest curse sometimes for us to grow. That there's times where the hard truths of reality need to be brought full front for us to grow and really develop. We don't want a society that's given an easy, an easy life, an easy time makes weak men, but hard times make strong men, right? And so we don't want to make it enjoyable to be, you know, homeless. We don't want to make it enjoyable to be poor. We want to encourage people to climb out of it. And if they don't climb out of it, well, then we should pray for them and be there and help them. But also understand that, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world and there are going to be those that are going to have tough lives and they have to live with the consequences of their decisions. Anywho, moving on from that, I didn't know about at all that the mayor, Mrs. McLean there, had done this with abortion that had told investigators to turn kind of a more of a bland eye from enforcing it, which I guess is the least she could try to do on her more left-leaning position. I I think that's just horrible. I think objectively abortion is the killing of a human being and thus murder. And so I'm really glad Idaho is trying to get law stuff and passed to try to fight against this. I think we're going to look back in history and see that this was just a horrible, horrible chapter in history. And for those that didn't stand up and fight against it, that the certain amount of guilt or uh, weight should be placed upon that. But in any case, something I definitely wanted to share with you. I'm hoping to reach out if you know any of the people that are running or have resources, if you're someone that's involved in any of those cabinets and different things for these races, please, please reach out to me. I'd love to have any of these people, McLean, Masterson, any of the people different running, Aaron, Reese, or Joe Evans, if they want to come on, I'd love to have them on and talk about what are their plans, what are their solutions, what do they see the future of Boise being. 
Now, coming to our last story, I didn't have like a really fun, interesting, cool one. Uh, There are a couple kind of like that in the quickies, which you should stay around for. But this one definitely gave me a chuckle, and I thought we could have some fun discussion on. Sandpoint Goose Hunt to return in November. This comes by the Bonner County Daily Bee by... Eva Seberg, up in Sandpoint, the city is getting tough on geese after Sandpoint permitted beach goose hunts earlier this year and observed their effects. The city has opened up applications again for hunts this fall. This time around, hunts will occur twice weekly during the month of November on the following dates, November 1st, November 4th, 7th, 10th, 15th, 18th, 20th, and 22nd. Hunters will be selected via a blind drawing, which will be held at the Sandpoint City Hall Council Chambers on October 9th at 5.30 p.m. The applicants must be present in person at the time of the drawing. To participate in the hunt, a complete application must be submitted by October 15th. Applicants must be 21 years of age or older and provide proof of a valid Idaho hunting license federal migrator bird stamp and migrator bird permit at the time of the application. Each applicant must list up to three additional hunters to include with them in their blind. Additional hunters listed do not need to be present at the drawing, but must provide all necessary documentation to authorities on the day of the hunt. The goose hunts are designed to help combat a growing geese population at the city beach. The city has tried everything possible to keep the birds away from the beach, from decoys to relocation, but nothing has worked. The city hopes that by hunting some of the geese, it will deter them from coming to the beach. The city also believes that hunting is a more humane way to manage the goose population than euthanizing the birds. Which, I think this is a great idea. I think the whole state can learn some lessons on this. There are way, way, way too many dang geese in this state. Way too many. Fall comes around and you can't do a stinking thing at all. And then the parks get everywhere just covered in poop. Can you tell I'm passionate on this at all? <laughs> um, that, I mean, at least let people, like, say, if it's a, uh, it's a park or whatever, and maybe you're like, well, I don't want you to shoot them and hunt them in the environment, blah, 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 blah. Well, then let me at least, like, let my dog off to chase them off the lawn, right? And eventually they'll just learn there's always going to be dogs at these certain places, and they're just not going to do it. There's plenty of fields all over the valley they can land. There's Lake Low that has its whole, like, reserve area and stuff for them to land here in the valley anyways, right? And then they can do that and land and have their time. There's tons of lakes all over the state that they can land and do their things and shorelines everywhere, but not in these wonderful parks that are designed for humans to enjoy. That, that is the function of these parks, to have a recreational area for the community to go out into and see the beauty of God's creation in nature. And if we have all these birds pooping everywhere, it really doesn't do any good, especially when, you know, you've got this amazing resource. Everyone's got pets. Or in this hunter's case, I think this is a super fun thing. If someone does this and you're listening, please, please, please send me some footage of this over. I would love to play this on the podcast. We'll run it as a clip or I'll reshare it over there on the Twitter. I didn't know they did this last year. Granted, I don't think I was, maybe I was recording this. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe no, I think we're getting close to a year here, actually, of podcasts. We'll have to do something special for that. But I think this is a wonderful idea because geese, they, they have their place, but I think there's way too many in the state, and they're way, way too comfortable. I know there was a point when uh, Canadian geese were, like, endangered or something. like. I don't know how that happened, maybe because they were just so dumb. But I think this is a wonderful resource, especially when it comes to the fact that it's just like, hey, the geese, they can wander around town. They're probably going to land on people's roofs. There's plenty of shorelines around the lakes they can land on and different stuff and swim in and different things, right? But not the beach, all right? Don't land on the beach. Make the birds understand that. You land on that beach, you're going to get shot. 
and it's not going to be fun for you. And it also makes it a fun thing for the community to help outright and get involved and to hunt and have that experience and teach kids how to do that and the patience that comes with hunting. I personally want to do more of it. I haven't done it. I need to find some friends to go do it with. I've done a lot of fishing, though. I love my fishing. That 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 is totally my jam, but I know hunting is its own beast unto itself. And also, I think it's a bit more expensive. Like, I think a fishing permit in the state of Idaho and then a hunting license are vastly. I think the hunting license is way more expensive. But then again, it does get more expensive if you get older. Actually, on that note, fun, fun note, if you have a kid in the state of Idaho, Get them their fishing, their lifetime fishing and hunting license when they're born. Why do you want to do this? Here's the key. When you do it when they're first born, it is the cheapest. So your lifetime license in the state of Idaho, it gets more expensive as you get older to try to get a lifetime license, if I remember correctly. And so I had many friends that their parents were way more into fishing and they got their lifetimes for the state of Idaho when they were born. It was super, super cheap and they never have to worry about it again. If you're a parent and you're going to have a child here soon or they're still young, Please, please do it. You will thank me later. They will thank you later that they have that amazing resource, especially in this wonderful state of Idaho. The only exception I could see is if you're a person who's always traveling, then maybe. But even then, if it's cheap enough, I just do it. And even if you're in a different state, at least the kid can be like, hey, if I ever want to go to Idaho, I can fish and hunt for free, which is a wonderful blessing. But in any case, a funny story to hear about going on up there. If you're peop- someone up there near the Sandpoint area, you might want to check into it. A little bit of a fun thing to do and help out your local community up there north. Moving into the quickies here. These are stories that didn't make the cut for commentary and stuff that maybe I didn't have anything to say on them because I don't want to say things that I'm just trying to make stuff up on the fly. Or they're stories that just didn't seem to be relevant for the main story and kind of that front page news type of thing, right? But I still wanted you guys to know about. Starting off here with our first story and our first one for Albertans. There's two in here. I kind of split them up so they're not back to back. A story that has been cooking in the background, I've mentioned on here a couple times, is the Albertsons and Kroger merger. As many of you know, Albertsons has been a major presence in Idaho since its founding in Boise in 1939. The company is the state's fifth largest employer and operates 44 stores in the state, including the five under the Safeway brand. In August of 2022, Kroger, the nation's largest grocery chain, announced its intent to acquire Albertsons. The deal, which is expected to close in 2024, has raised concerns about the future of Albertsons in Idaho. Kroger has not said where it would base its operations after the deal is completed, and it has refused to say which Idaho stores would close. However, Kroger has said that it would sell at least 413 stores to regional grocer C&S, including 13 stores in Idaho. As one can guess, the deal could significantly diminish Albertson's store's home presence in Idaho, especially if the stores it sells are mostly in the Boise market. This is possible as Kroger is selling stores to ease regulatory concerns over competition, and selling Albertson's locations could help ease market concentration in the Boise market with Kroger's Fred Meyer, which you didn't, if you didn't know, Kroger owns Fred Meyer. Notably, Kroger has decided not to sell any Fred Meyer locations, instead shedding Albertson stores. Data provided by CSN to the Boise Dev indicates that the average Fred Meyer store brings in a higher volume of grocery sales per location than the average Albertson 
Albertsons location does. So sadly, the fate of the Albertsons companies if the proposed deal from Cinemac-based Kroger goes through is uncertain. Kroger has not been transparent about its plans for Albertson and has refused to say which Idaho stores would close. As many of you can guess, the proposed acquisition of Albertsons by Kroger could have a significant impact on Idaho. The deal could lead to the closure of Albertsons stores, which could reduce competition and lead to higher prices for consumers. Additionally, the deal could lead to job loss, as Kroger has said that it would sell at least 413 stores to regional grocer C&S, which we've already mentioned. The deal has also raised concerns about the impact on Idaho's economy. Albertsons is a major taxpayer and employer of the state, as we've mentioned above, and if the deal leads to the closure of Albertsons stores or job losses, it could have a negative impact on our state's economy and especially small regional local economies in the state. Now, moving to our next story here, this is one that I know I've heard talked about a ton here in the Valley, and a lot of people definitely heard it. Gasoline explosion prompts evacuation in Middleton. This comes by KTVB7 by staff. A gasoline explosion near the intersection of Purple Sage Row and Duff Lane in Middleton prompted evacuations this last Thursday morning. The explosion occurred after a worker driving excavator dug through a 22-inch natural gas transmission line. The worker was taken to the local hospital with minor injuries, and and residents within a four-mile radius of the intersection were evacuated. The evacuation notice was lifted around 11.40 a.m. the same day, and residents were then asked to shelter in place as Williams Pipeline worked on, quote, locking out and tagging out the valves on both ends, end quote. All evacuations and shelter-in-place orders were lifted by 2.10 p.m. Thursday, and students in the Middleton School District have returned to normal operations, and there should be no interruptions for local gas as a result of the explosion. The gas line explosion in Middleton is a reminder of the importance of safety when excavating underground utilities. It is also a reminder of the potential danger of natural gas and the importance of having a plan in place in case of an emergency. The fact that no one was seriously injured in the explosion is a testament to the quick response of first responders and the cooperation of residents. Then swinging back around to Kroger here just a little bit, but it's something kind of out of state that's relevant. A California AG may sue Kroger. This comes by the Boise Dev by Donde. If you didn't just get enough of the Kroger and Albertsons news, here's just one more story. The pressure on Kroger in its bid to buy Boise-based Albertsons continues to mount. California Attorney General Rob Bonta told Reuters Thursday that his office may sue to block the deal. Bonta said he is concerned about the potential for increased grocery prices, decreasing revenue from California farmers, and an impact on workers. He also met with the Federal Trade Commission Chair Lena Kahn in Washington, D.C. to discuss the merger. Kahn has has also signaled concerns about the grocery merger in general. A Kroger spokesperson pushed back against Bonta's comments, saying that the deal would lower prices for consumers, securing union jobs, and direct more food to hungry families. However, Kroger has provided scant proof of these claims, and the Boise Dev analysis found that its pledge to invest $500 million in lowering grocery prices would equate to about a 2% per shopping trip decrease. The spokesperson also claimed that non-union retailers like Walmart and Amazon would benefit if the deal doesn't go through. However, Kroger says it hopes to close the $24.6 billion deal 
early next year. If the deal goes through, the new combined company would put Fred Meyer and Albertsons under the same cooperative roof. In Idaho, 13 Albertsons stores would be sold off to smaller wholesale companies. The potential lawsuit by the California Attorney General is a major setback for Kroger's proposal for the acquisition of Albertsons. The deal has already been met with opposition from consumer groups and labor unions, and California Attorney General's lawsuit would further delay or even derail the deal. The deal is also facing scrutiny from the Federal Trade Commission, which is responsible for reviewing mergers and acquisitions to ensure they do not reduce competition. The FTC has expressed concern about the potential for the deal to lead to higher prices for consumers, and it is possible the agency could challenge the deal. Now, kind of moving out of that whole thing and over into a fun one here. Dinosaur statue found after being stolen from Idaho Falls home. This comes at East Idaho News by Kathleen Hart. A dinosaur statue that was stolen from a home in Idaho Falls has been found. The statue, which is one of three that are a popular neighborhood attraction, were found by a couple of hunters who were scouting deer near Taylor Mountain. The statue was welded to the ground, so the thieves must have broken off the welds in order to take it. The family that owns the statue is offering $200 reward for information about who stole it, but they are grateful to have it back. The theft of the dinosaur statues was a puzzling and disappointing event for the Murphys and their neighbors. The fact that the statues were welded to the ground suggests that the thieves were determined to take it. It is possible that they were planning to sell it or keep it from themselves, but it is unsure at this time. Then speaking of that Idaho abortion ban stuff that we were talking about earlier, Idaho abortion ban temporary blocked in medical emergencies again. This comes by KTVB semi-staff. In the latest twist of the legal battle over Idaho's near-total abortion ban, a federal appeals court has temporarily blocked the law from being enforced in emergency medical situations. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals granted a request for a rehearing before a full judicial panel following an early ruling on September 29th that had allowed the abortion ban to take full effect. This new ruling puts a pause again on abortion laws when it comes to cases where abortion is deemed necessary to prevent the death or serious impairment of the mother. The Biden administration sued Idaho in federal court, arguing the state's near-total abortion ban violates the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA, which requires hospitals to provide stabilizing treatment in emergency situations. The rehearing marks the next phase in the high-stakes legal fight over the state's abortion ban since Roe v. Wade was overturned. This decision will have significant implications on whether federal law supersedes strict state abortion law restrictions when a patient's life is in danger. This temporary block on Idaho's abortion ban in medical emergencies is a negative step back for those fighting against abortion in the state of Idaho. However, the rehearing by the full judicial panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has far-reaching implications for abortion access in other states with strict abortion bans. If the court rules the federal law supersedes state law in emergency medical situations, it can make it difficult for other states to enforce their abortion bans in cases where the life of the mother is at risk. The legal battle over Idaho's abortion ban is a reminder of the fight that is currently brewing in America over the question of abortion. Now, I think we're out of the political topics here, moving into a far less political one and totally abstract in a sense out there in the solar system. Annual solar eclipse to darken Idaho skies. This comes by KTVB7 by Rachel Garceau. An annual solar eclipse was visible in southwest Idaho on the morning of Saturday, October 14, 2023. It was the first annual eclipse to occur in the U.S. since May of 2012, and the next one won't happen until 2013. 
39. While we're not normally in the path of annularity, the Boise area got to see roughly 84% of the annularity for this annular eclipse. It gives spectators a unique view of this event when viewed through proper glasses. The main event was relatively short-lived, with the max eclipse lasting only about four minutes, though the entire eclipse spanned a couple of hours, as there is roughly one hour for partial eclipses on either side of the annularity or maximum. People in southwest Idaho were able to catch the full event outside of their homes at about 9.15 Mountain Standard Time, with about 85% of the maximum occurring at about 10.20. But for those who were interested for viewing a total eclipse of the annularity, the closest destinations were Elko or Winnemucca, Nevada, both roughly about 250 miles from Boise. Now coming to the snow and snowboarding one that all of you guys I kind of teased about earlier, Brundage Mountain Resort upgrades for 2023 to 2024 season. This comes with a Boise Dev by Autumn Robertsons. Brundage Mountain Resort is making a number of improvements for the 2023 to 2024 skiing season as part of its 10-year improvement plan. One of those is the Continental Express Lift. The biggest change is the replacement of the Continental Triple Chair with a high-speed detachable quad called the Continental Express. This lift upgrade will cut the base to summit ride from 16 to 6 minutes and will give the Mountain 2 high-speed quads on the front side. The next is the RFID technology. The resort will start beginning to utilize radio frequency identification or RFID technology. Guests will be given RFID cards that will be used to load season passes and day tickets online. This will let guests go straight to the lifts. Also, Brundage is working to create more consistency with free shuttle service that runs between McCall and the Mountain. Mountain Community Transit and Brundage are eyeing a a seven-day-a-week operation for the winter. In previous years, the bus ran five days a week during the peak season and three during the off periods. Other improvements to note for the 2023 to 2024 season include reconfiguring Easy Street that adds more terrain-based learning opportunities, removal of trees causing hazards around the continental lift line, brush cutting to get the slopes ready for an early opening. Also, groundwork has started on the 17,000-square-foot Mountain Adventure Center, which will give guests access to tickets, reservations, retail, rentals, mountain sports schools, coffee, and restrooms. The project is planned to be completed for 2024 to 2025 winter season. Groundwork has also started on the Northwoods neighborhood, a 37-acre ski-in, ski-out neighborhood with 21 single-family homes and 11 cottages off the lower rodeo run. These projects and more are part of the $25 to $30 million 10-year improvement plan that Brundage Mountain Resort announced in 2021. Now coming back down to the valley here in the southern part of the state, Coldwell Planning and Zoning approves 400 units south of 20 and 26. This comes by the Boise Dev by Autumn Robertsons. The Coldwell Planning and Zoning Commission has approved a large-scale project called Escalon Park, which would build out 118 acres of farmland near the highway. The project consists of a total of 432 dwellings made up of 192 apartment units and 240 single-family homes, plus nine commercial lots and a host of amenities. The commercial lots would line the northmost portion of the property, and there is room for a smaller retailer and one space for a potential big-box retailer. The commission was fond of the commercial aspect and asked if it would be possible to develop this during an earlier phase rather than the last. The applicant said it could depend on the demand. For single-family homes, there is a mix of styles, including all-alone lots, 
front load lots and standard lots. The eight apartment buildings would be a three-story garden style. For amenities, there will be a clubhouse with a pool, walk paths across the community, and an irrigation easement that will add an open space. The project would also add a key connection by constructing Santa Ana Avenue and would run north-south from Highway 2026. One commissioner expressed concern about the number of access points and how it relates to the fire code. The developer said it was likely that there would be a second access point by the time the developer was working on the portion of the project. With all that said, the project still needs to earn approval from the Caldwell City Council. And lastly, all the way up north again, Sandpoint Blue Necklace Vision for Downtown. This comes by the Donner County Daily Bee by Carol Lobsinger. The winning design firm in Sandpoint's waterfront design competition unveiled its revised vision for the city's downtown. The blue necklace design created by GGLO slash Brennard Willis will be inspired by the city's natural beauty and aims to create a more cohesive and vibrant downtown experience. The design includes a number of key features such as an expanded farmland parking with more space for markets and community events, a new entry gate inspired by sturgeon nose canoes cedar support, an expanded Broadway system and restored riparian habitat along the Sand Creek, an iconic new bridge over the Sand Creek, a street-level plaza and cascading planters at the Cedar Strait Bridge, a new crossing at the Bridge Street that separates vehicular and pedestrian traffic, and lastly, a rewilder city beach with meadow grass, natural playscapes, swimming dock, event stage, green lawn, and a ice ribbon. The blue necklace design is intended to be a flexible and adaptable framework that can guide these Sandpoint's growth and development for years to come. It is also designed to be welcoming to all residents and visitors. With that said, we've come to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If I missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to me via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting me at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed. Thank you.